0: Colossians 4, beginning at verse 2, says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So there are four directions given in this, The the, the I would call this the closing of this epistle. <clears throat> and the first one is really, it covers a lot of verses, but it's all found in two through four. So just jump back up to two. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. On account of which I am in prison, that I make it may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Um, <clears throat> the first directive then is really simple. It's difficult to hear this directive, though, because if you are somebody who um, doesn't have a lot of confidence in your spirituality, um, or you tend to view commandments as the means to pleasing God, then it's, it's more difficult to hear a directive like this one. Be steadfast in prayer means to continue to be in prayer, to be regularly in prayer, to persist in prayer, right? How are we doing with that? And so you hear the directive, and if you're especially a young man who sits with his feet up on the ledge to listen to preaching, you immediately think, okay, well, this is pointless, right? Or if you're an old man who's resolved himself a number of times to be steadfast in prayer and after many decades of making such resolutions, realize you continually fail, then when you hear the directive, what you think is, "Ah, well, this is pointless. I'm not saying all of you thinks that, but part of you thinks that. Because part of you knows that no matter how hard you've tried, you have not been able to be steadfast in prayer. You know it when you're driving, if you're James, and somebody on the road is going fewer than 15 miles an hour over the speed limit in the left lane. I'm already sinning because I'm speeding, and now I'm sinning against you because I'm going to bury my headlights in your tailpipe until you get out of the way. If I were being steadfast in prayer, it would be much more difficult for me to be that selfish. I know it as a husband, when my wife doesn't do exactly what I wish she would do, and I start to get snippy and irritated with her. Immediately I should know, part of the problem here is I'm not being steadfast in prayer. Young men and women know it, because they're preoccupied with things that their little hearts shouldn't be, right? You're in no condition under the age of, I would say, at, at at least 19. You're in no place in life to be getting married. So why are you playing house with somebody? Because you don't know how to be steadfast in prayer. So you have to distract your heart and mind with things that will fill it up, at least temporarily. So we hear the direction, make prayer a habit And you immediately start to fill your mind with reasons why you can't or why you haven't historically. Well, before you finish filling your mind with reasons why you can't, let's just walk through some passages together. All right. This is going to take a while because I have to wait for everybody to turn to these. Romans chapter (laughs) 8. Sam, I don't actually believe it's any measure of spirituality how you sit and listen to a message. I just threw that out for my own entertainment. 26, Romans 8, 26. We've all heard this. I mean, unless this is literally your first time being in a Baptist church... Likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes with us sorry for us with groanings too deep for words now I, my translation which means the english version of the bible that i use is the english standard version and here's what I believe to be true of the English Standard Version. It is not the most literal English translation of the scriptures that you can find. <clears throat> However, it is the most readable and most literal version I think you can find. Literally, Greek doesn't go to English real smoothly. So things would be very out of place if this were a literal Greek to English translation. Do you agree, just say amen, with the idea that if you endeavor to pray right now, if I said, all right, pause, everybody bow your heads and just spend 15 seconds in prayer, do you agree that if you do that, if you do that, the Holy Spirit will help where you are weak as a prayer All right, (laughs) so would you agree that Romans 8, 26 offers substantial comfort when we don't know how to pray or we don't know what to pray? Okay, Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Have you ever endeavored to pray, and in the midst of endeavoring to pray, somehow you ended up uh, several subjects away from whatever you were praying about, thinking about something that you certainly would not pray to God? Yeah, your favorite part of some movie And you go, how did I get here? Well, the spirit's willing, but the flesh, and that includes your physical mind, is weak and tends to run to all sorts of things. Uh, The resolve that you make to be steadfast in prayer, to make prayer a habit, is a a resolve made by somebody whose spirit is willing, but their flesh is weak, right? Right? So all the resolutions before, if you've been a Christian for some amount of time, all the resolutions before prove what Jesus tells his disciples in the garden. Yeah, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Listen, that's your Bible telling you what God already knows about you. So when you think, bah, forget it, make a habit out of prayer isn't going to happen for me because uh, although I'd like to, my flesh just is weak and I probably won't be able to Listen, God already knows that about you. So if he already knows that about you and he's telling you in Colossians 4, make a habit out of prayer, what do you think you should probably try to do? Even though you're going to fail at it. Even though you stink at it. Even though you're probably going to pray things 10 years from now. You look back and go, I can't believe I prayed that. Right? What should you do? Make a habit out of prayer, right? Let's keep going. Psalm 145. Psalm 145, Psalm 145, oops, I know where that is. Yeah, that's right, mom. I don't think Ellie's ready to be done singing. Psalm 145, verse 18, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Oh, um, if you're a cynic, first of all, I love you and I'm glad you're here. Second of all, I want you to know that it, it, it is a discipline of mine to not proof text. Which means I will not extract from elsewhere in scriptures a sentence or a phrase that I think makes my case for me as a human teacher. So if if I say, hey, let's go check out this one verse and this one chapter, I will I will promise you that I am not going to utterly decapitate it from its given context. So, like... That verse right there, Psalm 145, 18, that says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to those who call on him in truth, is not separated from previous verses that say, um, as long as you sacrifice a goat, the Lord is near to those who call on him. It doesn't say that. You can take, you can take it to the bank if I say, let's go glance at a verse out of its context. I am not then going to follow up and say things that remove it from its context even further. Okay? So when God says in his word, "The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth," and you're somebody that that thinks Maybe I should make it a habit to be in prayer. So I'm going to resolve to be someone who's in prayer. And then you start praying. What do you think God does? What do you think God does if he says, I'm near to all who call to me in prayer, to those who call to me in truth? You start praying. What do you think he does as far as his proximity to you? Yeah. All right, let's keep going. First John 5. Oh, I'm also, I'm not angry with any of you. I'm angry with the fact that after a quarter of a century, almost, of walking with God, these stupid excuses still pop into my head when the Bible tells me to make it a habit to pray. I don't have anybody in mind except for myself. So when I started refuting all of these instincts to not pray in my notes, I just went to home base and saw what was there. And I'm like, well, let me share it with the church. So if you sit there like, while I'm saying these things, all you're going to do is give me the impression that I'm the only one. All right? 1 John 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. <clears throat> if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, according to his will is an important modification to this idea that whatever we ask, God's going to give us. Does it say whatever we ask, God will give us? Yes as long as it's according to his will, right? All right, so what's the will of God? Is there a verse that comes into your mind when you seek to answer the question, what's the will of God? Because in my mind, it's generally Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord desires that you do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So, let me organize my prayers according to the will of God. I want to pray for things that are just, not things that are unjust, right? So, uh, that requires no, no explanation or, or example or illustration, right? The difference between just and unjust, okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to pray for things with a a passion and a love for mercy uh, overflowing in my heart. Right? So I'm not praying for the death of my enemies or the opportunity to murder them because God's not going to give me that. It's not according to his will. I'm also going to pray in a way that is Humble before God, where I commit myself to yield to whatever his will ends up being. Yeah? So this is the confidence then that you have toward him, before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. It doesn't say he'll give it to you. It says he'll hear you. If you pray according to his will, he will hear you. And then let's look at Hebrews 4.14. Are we okay? Are we doing okay? Everybody's all right, good. Hebrews 4.14. Hmm. Another, I think, pretty well-known passage. Um, and one, if you haven't already, uh, this is a passage worth underlining, this is a passage worth jotting down um, on something that you look at regularly because these are truths that are awfully precious. Since then, Hebrews 4.14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our own weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the confidence we have toward him that if we ask anything, uh, according to his will, he hears us. And then Hebrews four fourteen says, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, since we have him, let's hold fast to our confession for we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. What if that said, uh since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, let's hold fast to our confession, uh, for he is glorious and we are worm food. Instead of, we don't have a high priest who's, who's unable to sympathize with us. Like, think about the power of this reality. I want to have confidence before God that when I pray, he hears me. Amen? Everybody with me? Okay. Um, <clears> okay. <throat> How would you go about gaining confidence before God? What's the, like, if you think about God and his glory and you in your finite nature, what should you probably do? What should be at the top of the list of things that you do that will give you confidence before him? And we can illustrate this really easily. The boss-employee relationship, parent-child relationship. And when you want to have confidence before your boss, what do you have to do? We have to do a good job. Right, And then your boss is like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I have you as an employee because you do a good job. And that gives you confidence before your boss. If you're a child and you are youth, teen, whatever, you live at home, and you want to have confidence before mom and dad when you ask them for permission to go do something or money to go buy something, what do you probably need to do leading up to that asking where you need that confidence? Well, probably not break your toys, blame blame them, slam the door, beat up your brother and sister. Like you need to behave in a way that that draws their heart towards you in affection, not in like distress and frustration, right? And so if you're good, if you're behaved, then you can have confidence, all right? So let's apply the same thing to your Father in heaven. I want to have confidence before God in heaven. Well, then you'd better not sin. The problem with, with, with that is, like people fall into one of two camps. There's people probably who will hear this message who will go, yeah, that's right. It's a good thing I don't sin. And then there's the rest of us who are like, I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to stop for 10 seconds. I don't know how to stop failing to glorify God perfectly. I can't quit sinning. All I do is say, Like, it's the thing that I'm best at. So here's what Hebrews 4 is telling you. In of that reality, your constant sin and offense to God, you have confidence to draw near because it's a throne of grace, not a throne of judgment. So you can draw near boldly because he has been in every respect tempted as you are. The only difference between you and Jesus, as far as the relationship to sin, is he, in his God nature, was able to resist the temptation so that he could redeem you from the very curse that you need him for. God does not say, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, unless you've sinned. It doesn't say that anywhere in the scriptures. Sorry, uh, whatever preacher told you it does, probably proof-texted. Finally, Psalm 17, verse 6. Ready? Get there. Come on. Here's some pages turning. Just, just get there more loudly. That's all I ask. Thank you. Yeah, I'll take fake sound effects. That works. Psalm 17, 6. I will call upon you, for you will answer me, O God, incline your ear to me, hear my words. All right? So we started by saying that that something has to change in God's proximity to us, right? So in Psalm 145, it said, the Lord is near to uh, all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. In Psalm 17, 6, the psalmist prays and he says, I will call on you for you will answer me and incline your ear to me, O God, hear my words. What you need to, the mental picture that you need to have when, when you think about I'm going to make it a habit to be in prayer. The mental picture that you should have is that it's, God is looking out on all that he's created, um, the whole universe, and upholding everything by the word of his power. And fully satisfied in himself, in the relationship between Father, Son, Holy Spirit, needs nothing Requires nothing. Didn't make us because he was lonely. He just, he is thoroughly content. And then you begin to pray. And he turns his face towards you. And he leans down. And he puts his ear next to you so that he can hear what it is that you're saying. That's the mental picture that the scriptures are painting for us. Now, God is not a man. He doesn't have flesh. He doesn't have ears the way we have ears. But the fact of the matter is, what the scriptures are declaring is that when you pray, in a, in a, in a miraculous sense, your voice carries beyond the stars. And the Father in heaven is pleased to condescend and listen to what it is that you're praying. Now, that begs the question, doesn't it? What do you pray for? <laughs> four, I'll give you four things. Bearing in mind, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So you're going to pray with a grateful heart, right? At the same time, pray for us that, we, that God may all... <laughs> all right, let me just... <sighs> At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ. On account of which, I am imprisoned that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Pray for first, and it doesn't have to be in this order. And whoever taught you at Bible camp or whatever that if your prayers don't start with this and then go to this, like forget it. It doesn't say that anywhere. The disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he's like, all right, I'll teach you to pray. Do you really think that's what we're supposed to do then? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And that's pleasing to him. I mean, doesn't he say, don't be the hypocrite who heaps up words without meaning. So when you pray, like, feel free to go ahead and start with whatever's at the top of your heart. And I'll tell you, I mean, you're not the only one who is foremost or uppermost in your own affections, okay? We're all like that. So at the top of the list of things I need to pray for is me. Yeah, Suzette throws out a prayer request yesterday. She's like, hey, pr- was it uh, Balake? Was that his name? Blake, thanks. Uh, Awkward time for that joke, right? Because Blake broke his neck playing football. She throws out the prayer request. I read it. And the first thing I think is, man, I'm sure glad my kid hasn't broken his neck playing football. It wasn't her kid. Sorry. It was a a cousin's grandson. Yeah. So so it's not, like, I'm not saying that's great. That's how we should all be. I'm just saying that's reality. We are uppermost in our own affections, generally speaking. And and you've got to cultivate the ability to put somebody else ahead of you. So if you're going to pray, like, don't, don't sit down and, like, outline it and map it out. All right, how can I get this most pleasing to God before I start doing it? Just pray. And if the first thing that comes out is, God, I need fill in the blank, that's okay. Pray for what you need. Uh, Philippians 4.6 I'll give you a break. You're not going to turn there. Don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God. Well, what are you anxious about? If you're, if you're anxious, you're probably not as anxious about Blake as you are about whatever is going on in your own life, right? So lift those things up to God. God is not going to be like more inclined to hear you if you save your requests for yourself for last. He already knows your heart. He already knows what you're going to say anyway. Like Don't play games with God. Just pray. In my distress, Psalm eighteen six. In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Psalm 118.5, out of my distress, out of my distress, I called on the Lord and the Lord answered me and set me free. That's Psalm 118.5, out of my distress. Pray for what you need. Pray for what you need. Okay? Are we all right? All right. Some of you are like, I'm I'm far more spiritual than that, Pastor. Uh, Second, pray for others and their needs. James 5, 16. uh, I mean, not all that long ago we covered this. I think it was in 2023. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person uh, has great power as it is working. You remember? You remember this? And I was like, well, that excuses all of us from having powerful prayers, right? If it's the prayer of a righteous person that has great power as it's working. But the fact of the matter is we have, as God's people, his, Christ's imputed righteousness. He either hung on the cross and took all the sin and gave us all of his obedience or he didn't. So when I pray, because I'm a child of God who has faith in Jesus Christ and his work, there is righteousness working as I'm praying. His, not mine, right? But I, it's mine now. I'm taking it anyway. Uh, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So confess your sins and pray for one another. And then in Galatians 6, 2, we're told to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, if you want to be uh, someone who makes it a habit to pray, who is steadfast in prayer, here's a, here's a tip I'll give you. And this is how I, this is how you know. I, I stink at this, right? You'll know right away when I say this. Like, this is, this is a view into the inner man that I probably shouldn't give you. You know somebody's not good at praying when they're not good at sharing what they need prayer for. You feel that? Oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm good. I don't need anything. Oh, because you're just handling it? Yep. Till you can't, till you can't bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we have to share burdens and then we have to bear one another's burdens. So pray for yourself, pray for your nonsense, pray for what you need, and then pray for me and my nonsense and what I need. Okay? Can we do that? Apparently not, except for three people over here. Luke, I'm going to make you start turning again because I think a lot of you have tuned out. Luke chapter six. Go to Luke six. Eh. Do you want me to, hey, do you want me to hold her? Just so you can have a break. All right. Luke 6:27. everybody find it? Will you put a finger on it? Look back up at me so I know you're paying attention. Luke Luke 6:26 Oh I said 27, Luke 6:27. I'm still waiting for some eyeballs to come up. All right, now I know who's listening and who's not. Uh, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. All right, so pray for yourself and your nonsense. Pray for me and mine. And then pray for those who are your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you and abuse you. Or should we spend a lot of time on that? Or do you want me to just, I'll just keep going. All right. Pray for the advancement of the gospel. This is third. So we've covered two things. You, everybody else, the gospel. This is third. All right. 2 Chronicles seven fourteen says, "If oh, no, I told you I'm going to make you turn. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. So it's before Psalms, in case you're, you're searching diligently for it. Not right before, but if you see Psalms, keep going closer to the beginning. 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. All right, all of us uh, patriotic types that, you know, like I grew up as a military kid. And on top of that, my dad was in the Air Force band. So I knew all of the military, uh, uh, what do you call them? fight songs, anthems, theme songs, I don't know, anyway, I knew them all, like at least the melodies, uh, because we went to concerts all the time and had to hear them, and so I mean, I lived at Clark, near Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines, and there were fighter jets flying over constantly, nothing makes you as patriotic as a fighter jet, especially after Top Gun came out, and then you get to see these things all the time, or uh, Iron Eagle, or whatever, like... If you're a patriot and you're one of these people that claims to care about this country and and, uh, so we won't venture into, that's right, the election was stolen. Like We don't have to do that, but we can just go, I love this country and I would love to see her restored to something resembling her glory when I was a child. Um, First, repent because it wasn't always that great for everybody. Right? So we've got to always be progressing and not regressing. So what I want is for this land to be the land of the free and home of the brave. For everybody that's that's here, I would like to have um, a moral resurgence. So if Second Chronicles 7.14 could be applied as a promise to the United States of America in 2023, then here's what we would want to do. If you could apply that as a promise, here's what we would want to do. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves. So that means Christians in 2023 have to humble themselves, which means um, however right you are, you had better behave the way Jesus did. Humble yourself, because he was the most right, and he died on a cross. I'm not as right as him, so I definitely should be on a cross, relatively speaking, right? Uh, pray and seek my, f- wait, what? what? Pray and seek my face. Oh, so we should be a people, if we want this country to get back on the right track, we got to be a people who make it a habit to pray, right? okay. Uh, Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Oh, man. Well, we're never going to get the whole country to do that. So I guess as a church, we had better be about the business of turning from our wicked ways. Uh, Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, um, so there are corporate promises and directives that work a little bit differently than the individual ones. I do believe that if we as a church pray, God inclines his ear and hears us. I do believe that. But I also believe when you're talking about a corporate uh, setting, a group of people who are supposed to be God's people, who are supposed to make up the body of Christ in Springfield, Nebraska, at least on Sundays. I know we're kind of spread out all across the metro, but when you're talking about corporately, there almost has to be more organization than that. We have to be willing to get all everybody facing the same direction and go, hey, church, let's resolve together, right? I get we're doing it individually, but let's resolve together to seek the face of God for our community we got to do that together Like, definitely do it individually but can you get behind the idea of us engaging the Lord to revive Springfield or Bellevue or Papillion which seems way out of reach but like, can you get behind that so what would that look like on oh I don't know November 20th when they do the tree lighting ceremony and this church might get asked, we haven't, again, we haven't yet, but we might get asked to lead the caroling going into the tree lighting ceremony. What would that look like for you to be resolved to try to ask God to revive this community? Wouldn't you then want to show up and be part of reviving this community? Sharing the gospel, living it out where they can see it? Do you see? Hello. Do you see what I mean by the difference between the individual resolve and a corporate resolve? Sometimes I don't want to go to church. Could you imagine what would happen if I did what you sometimes do? That'd be weird, right? And you're like, oh, you get paid. I bet I could phone it in a couple of times before anybody would. He's you know, really like, oh, I'm sick. You know sometimes you say you're sick, you're not really sick, right? You have a little headache, but it's not a skip church headache, but it's good enough. You've got to be resolved to be corporately engaged. All right, enough of that. I want God to hear from heaven and forgive our sin and heal our land. So pray for the advancement of the gospel. Pray for your nonsense. Pray for other people's nonsense. Pray for the advancement of the gospel. Fourth, and we're going to have to leave it here because I've got like so much more to do. Uh, but this this will be it. Pray for those who preach and teach uh, it 's so selfish to end with this and I feel it feels gross. it does It feels gross, but that 's because i've i 've seen this concept abused, and i 've seen what men who try to make much of themselves through the ministry of the word do with ideas like this that are biblical, but they get twisted. And, and misused well the cure for abuse isn't non-use right it's right use so here we go Acts 12 5 Peter is in prison an earnest prayer for him was made to to God by the church why well because prison's not a fun place to be Okay, why else? Well, because Peter was one of the cornerstones of the church in Jerusalem. And people really felt that it would be better for the church if Peter wasn't in prison. Why? Well, because on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached a sermon and like 3,000 people got saved. So they're praying for him to get out of prison because it seems to me, if I'm one of these early church Christians, that it's better for the church if Peter's not in prison than if he is. So let me pray for the man who preaches and 3,000 people get saved. right? Um, And then in our passage, Paul says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So let's do a quick review, right? Five points on prayer. Your lack of skill as a prayer is no excuse. Do you hear me? Let me hear everybody say yes. Yes. All right, thank you. Second, pray for what you think you need. If you're wrong, God will show you. Pray for what you think you need. Third, pray for what you think others need and what they ask for. Fourth, pray for the advancement of the gospel. Pray for revival. Uh, and then let's corporately resolve to be engaged in seeing it happen. I'm throwing that in. It's nowhere in the text. It's elsewhere in the scriptures, though. All right, fifth, pray for those who are laboring all over the world to teach and preach Jesus. This is an absolutely critical first step in applying the practical wisdom of Colossians. So listen to me. This is what I believe. If you do not pray, if you do not pray, you will not change. If you do not pray, you will not change and you won't change anything else in a meaningful or good way. So read all the parenting books you want, mom and dad. Read all the leaderships you want, employer. Read all the marriage books you want, husband, wife. If you do not pray, you will not change and you will not change anything else in a meaningful or good way. Let me say it a little bit differently so you catch the full weight of my meaning. If you do not pray, you will change things for the worse. You will make things worse. So let's be a people who are resolved to and committed to prayer, amen? All right, let's do it right now.